Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. So man, what a great night. I think the last two years that we've um, been out here, the weather has been awful. So two years ago, the wind was just howling and we tried to have bonfires and it was like dangerous. Like I think we had to shut down the bonfires. And then last year was just raining all night. So let's just like praise the Lord for the weather. Like, come on. So good. If you're new around Challenge, or maybe you just got here somehow, someone said you should come and you're here, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're here. So glad that you're here. And I hope that just uh, the Lord really speaks to you tonight. So tonight, briefly, we want to open the Bible. So if you brought your Bible, pull it out. Um, we're going to look at a moment from Jesus' life. And uh, Jesus' life and teaching are amazing And so I hope tonight we all get a sense of just how much we need Christ. So let me pray, and um, then we'll open the word together. So, Father, we um, just want to come before you with our hearts open to you and our ears open to you, Lord. I thank you, God, for each person here and just how you um, have been working and speaking in their life. And God, just um, we pray, Lord, that tonight all the praise and the glory and the honor would be given to Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so open your Bible and flip it open to Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to be tonight. Luke chapter 4. We'll start in verse 14, and the scripture will be on the screen as well if you want to follow along there. So let's, uh, let's read this in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So in Luke's gospel, what we have here is the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And so he goes back home to his home state, Galilee is where he's from, the north of Israel, And it says that he goes around to the synagogues. This would be like going to the church and he's speaking and he's famous. Everyone is glorifying him, which was a really interesting word choice. And so we see here Jesus knows what it is to be famous, but Jesus is about to challenge his hearers and his message. We're going to see it reveals just the hardness of their hearts. So let's keep reading there in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Okay, Nazareth, it says where he was brought up. So this is like Jesus is going home, home, right? You know what I mean? Like where people know him, everybody knows him. These are like people that he grew up with or his parents' friends. It's a really tight knit community. Everybody knows him, and he's famous, and so now there's probably a lot of excitement in the room. Some people are thinking, man, I'm so excited Jesus is back, and I can't wait to hear him teach, and I bet there's others in the room who are thinking, what is this all about? We know who this guy is. They're probably a little skeptical, right? 
And Jesus is so intentional in this moment. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah and he chooses where he wants to read. And it's really an intense moment. So let's keep reading there in verse 17. See what Jesus does. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And so this is Isaiah 61. So it's near the end of the scroll. And so he knows just where he wants to go. They hand him the scroll and he is rolling it all the way to the end. He gets to chapter 61 and this is what he reads. He says, he reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. When uh, rabbis would sit down, that's how they would preach. It's an authoritative thing. So he sat down in authority and everyone else is sitting at his feet listening to his teaching. So he didn't go back down and sit in his seat. He sat down in front to teach. And it says, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So there's a ton of anticipation in this moment. You can kind of feel the tension, like what's Jesus going to say? And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Man, there's a lot going on here. So, first of all, like I said, this is Isaiah 61 that he's quoting. And in Isaiah, there's this theme that starts in chapter 42. And it's this theme of a servant, a messianic or a messiah, a savior who's also a servant that would bring salvation and redemption to the people. And so Isaiah 61 is this beautiful promise of what God's going to do through his servant. In fact, the servant is speaking in Isaiah 61. That's, I emphasize the me's, right? Those are what the servant is saying. And so in the first four verses of chapter 61 of Isaiah, God promises awesome things. He, he promises that where there's death and darkness and slavery, God's chosen servant will bring beauty and life and freedom. Instead of mourning and a faint or weary spirit, the servant promises to give gladness and a garment of praise. Instead of weakness and poverty, the servant says that God's people, in verse 4 of, of Isaiah 61, they'll be like oaks of righteousness and that they will be for the glory of God. It's an amazing chapter in the Bible. And what does Jesus say? He reads the first two verses and he says, it's about me. I'm that guy. This scripture is about me. It's a mic drop kind of moment for Jesus. Everyone in the synagogue knew exactly what he was saying. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. He's saying, you know, your Bible, that Old Testament that you've been studying your whole life, that you've memorized and you've prayed for the Messiah, and you've thought about who is this servant, he's saying, it's all about me. Jesus is saying, I'm him, right? That's what Jesus is saying. I don't know if some of you guys watched the, the quarterback documentary, but Mahomes had this moment where he just kept kind of saying, this is what I do, this is what I do. You guys know me? You, you, you feel it? 
This is Jesus's, this is what I do moment. He's like, look at Isaiah 61. I am doing all of those things. I am the fulfillment of these promises. And he's saying it to his friends. He's saying it to the people he grew up with. He's saying it to his parents' friends who saw him when he was in diapers. I mean, it's not really landing, right? And so this is my first point, though. Jesus is him. It's my first point. He is proclaiming good news. He's setting captives free. He is opening the eyes of the blind, both literally and spiritually. Jesus is freedom from oppression. He's bringing the year of the Lord's favor. He is the Savior. He's the Savior. And the people can't handle it. If you look in verse 22, it says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And so initially they're like, wow, this is amazing. But then they start kind of murmuring and and griping. And wait a second. What is he saying? Don't we know? This guy, isn't this Joseph and Mary's kid? Like he's saying that he's the Messiah. Is that right? And so they challenge Jesus. And in the verses that follow, there's this back and forth. And Jesus basically says, God is going to bring salvation to whoever believes in me. And even the Gentiles. And they can't handle it. They cannot handle it. So let's read what they do in verse 28. When they heard these things, Remember, these are his friends and family and, I mean, these are his people. All in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. I mean, what, what kind of a church service is this, right? Right then and there, they tried to kill him. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, what would I have to do or say in this moment for all of you to try and kill me? Maybe we shouldn't think about that, right? I don't, wanna, I don't know if I want to think that into existence here. But seriously, I mean, that's a strange thing, right? That doesn't happen in the synagogue or in church every week where you're like, no, that's bad enough. That guy needs to die. And they didn't just think it, they actually tried to do it. But why? Because what Jesus was saying so offended and revealed their pride. He's basically telling them that they are helpless in life without him. And they could not handle it because they knew him. And so this is the key tonight. The one thing, really, I want you guys to hear is that you need Jesus. That's my second point. Jesus is him and you need Jesus. You need Jesus more than anything else. I don't care what else you're thinking about. You don't need better grades. Some of you might. (laughs) Some of you might. That might be reality for you right now. But really, you need Jesus more than you need to study harder more than you need to pull up that GPA. You don't need to lift more weight. You don't need to look better. You don't need to try to get the attention from the ladies. It's not what you need. You need Christ. You don't need to be more funny, to be liked by more people, to be more witty and say the right thing. You don't need to go and watch the next positive self-thought video 
on YouTube so you can affirm yourself more. What you need is Jesus. So the way it is, you, me, all of us here, we are, and what this, this prophecy that Jesus read, I mean, just look at these, the description of us. If Jesus is him, we are not him. And, and look at what we are. We are poor, we're helpless, we're without hope, we're broken, we are enslaved apart from Christ. And so the good news, if you notice, just right there in Isaiah 61, verse 18 of, of this chapter in Luke, it says to proclaim good news. The good news, it doesn't tell us we need to be a better person. We need to make sure we jump through the right religious hoops and fake it till we make it to heaven one day. No, the gospel is that Jesus is our only hope. And if we trust in Jesus and we believe in Jesus, that's the path of true redemption. But the people want none of it. So I want to say this really clearly. To accept Christ and his message, we have to realize that we are completely incapable of life on our own. And that's what the people in Nazareth missed. They thought they were okay on their own. They didn't see that they needed Christ. They didn't see themselves as poor or captive or oppressed. And so I want to look at each one of these words. If you look in Luke 4, 18, there, there's four words that describe us. I want to look at each one. So first, this word poor. Jesus is proclaiming good news to us, and we are Poor. This word in Greek actually means totally destitute. And what I mean is, it doesn't mean that I just have a little. I think some of you can relate to that. College student life can feel like poverty, right? Do I have enough money for Chipotle or not? Can be a real question in your world. And so there's moments where you feel poor. You're not making a wage. You have to call mom and dad and say, I need help. But this is like nothing. And this is spiritual poverty. Jesus is talking, he says the exact same Greek word in Matthew 5 when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He means that we realize when we come to God, we bring nothing to the table. That our righteousness and our attempts to be good enough and to do the right things, they are nothing. We are bankrupt spiritually because of our sin. We got to see ourselves that way. Do you see yourself as poor? I think it's really easy if you grew up around the church or around some of this stuff and you might have some of the answers kind of locked in your brain and you can go to a Bible study and kind of make it through the Bible study and you know the right words and the, the vocab and you can kind of play the part. It's easy for us to think we have something to offer, isn't it? And to think that we look good enough to others. But the truth is we are bankrupt spiritually apart from Christ. We are poor. This next word is captive. You see it there. Um, he sent Christ to proclaim liberty to the captives. What this means is that hum humanity apart from Christ is totally enslaved to sin. We're slaves to sin. This is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans 6, where he talks about how we obediently offer ourselves to our master, sin. Because we're slaves to it. We don't have the power in and of ourselves to stop sinning. 
And I'm sure you've felt that. I know I have. I've absolutely felt that at times where I know that I shouldn't do what I do, but I find myself doing it. I think for me, um, being a parent has revealed that over the years. I've been a parent 17 years, and I've just seen in my heart impatience and anger and frustration, and I know that I should be more patient, but it just doesn't happen. Like there's, there's this brokenness in me, and apart from Christ, I am a slave to sin. I'm totally captive to sin. The next word he uses here in Isaiah and Jesus is quoting, he says that he sent me to recover the sight of the blind. And so we are blind. Spiritually, we are blind. We are unable to see truth or goodness for what it really is. This reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4.4. Let me read that for you. In their case, this is about unbelievers, in their case, the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So apart from Christ, we are blind. We can't even see truth or goodness. And then this last word here is the oppressed. The Greek word for oppressed here means literally to be broken into pieces. This reminds me of Satan's objective in John 10.10 where Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Or I think of 1 Peter 5.8 where Peter writes about Satan and he says, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Pretty intense imagery. Or I also think about how Jesus saw the crowds in Matthew 9. He saw the crowds and he saw them as harassed and helpless. And so there is, I mean, you can feel it. I was just talking to a student today and he was telling me his testimony, his story. And it involved depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. And he wanted in a moment to take his own life. But God intervened. He was oppressed by the spiritual forces of evil. And I tell you, that is alive and well. That is on our campus. I was walking on campus after meeting with him and just praying for you all tonight. And I just was walking on our campus. Um, I, I saw a couple of you. I was hoping to see more. And I was just praying for our campus. And I just felt this sense of like there is spiritual oppression on our campus. And I think a lot of it, it plays out in anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. It's just so dark. Satan hates you, and he wants you to hate yourself. And so apart from Jesus, this is what we are. We're totally spiritually bankrupt. We're captive. We're slaves to sin. We're spiritually blind. We can't even see what truth is, and then we are oppressed and devoured by Satan. Oh, how we need Jesus. Do you feel that tonight? We need Jesus. I remember when this clicked for me, when I became aware of this in my own life, I saw really clearly I couldn't hide my sin anymore. I couldn't hide it behind just a happy face. I needed more than just self-help or a 10-step plan to a better life to time management, 
I couldn't just dress up my issues with cultural humor. We do that so fluently, don't we? I couldn't hide behind my parents. No, I just, I remember this moment, my freshman year of college, where my sin just rose to the top, and I just saw it, I just looked it in the face and saw just how dark and messed up my heart truly was. And I realized how much I needed the cross because I was helpless on my own. Before that moment, I was numb to the gospel. I was numb to the good news. My heart was hard. I didn't really matter to me. It didn't really change anything in my life. I could nod along with it. If you talked about Jesus, I was really good at that. But I didn't really care until this moment when I saw myself rightly and Jesus changed my life. And so what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you? I have just two questions for you to consider. First, how do you see yourself? Do these four words resonate with you? Poor, captive, blind, and oppressed. Like, do you see yourself in such a great need for Christ? Maybe you're here, you've been around challenge, and you've just been kind of putting on the Christian facade and you haven't really been honest with people. Maybe you change your behavior like you change your clothes. You talk and act a certain way around some people and you talk and act a certain way around other people. Maybe, maybe you don't fake it at all. Maybe you're just totally clear that you're not following Christ. But you're trying to be good enough. You're trying to be a good person. I think most people are trying to be good people. But we can't. We're spiritually bankrupt. Maybe you're here tonight. I don't know how you got here, um, but this word is for you. Jesus is saying, He's here to set you free from all of that. And so, regardless of our condition and how we came, just how do you see yourself? That's my first question. And it leads me to my second question. If Jesus is him, then how do we see Jesus? Like, do we see him as our savior? He makes these bold claims here in Luke 4. He says he is the Messiah. He's been sent to rescue and redeem all humanity. He came to bring life where there was death and to save those who are like us, to free us, came to open the eyes of our heart, came to rescue us from oppression that's satanic. Jesus is the thing. And through his death and resurrection, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. It's all about Jesus. Also, Jesus is not only our rescuer, he's our Lord. He's God in the flesh. He's completely in control. I love it there in verse 30. When you look at that, these people, I mean, there's a crowd, right? So it'd be something like this. And they are intentionally, actively trying to murder this man. And what does it say? He passes through their midst. I have no idea what that looks like. Like an angry, violent mob that wants to kill one person. He's totally in control. And he just walks through their midst. He is our Lord. 
So what I want to say tonight is when we see ourselves rightly, when we see Jesus rightly, everything changes in life. I mean everything. So to give us a good picture of what this looks like in in the life of a student, we're going to have Matt come up and share his testimony. So please give it up for Matt as he walks up here. Thank you for the introduction. Like Nate said, my name is Matthew. Thank you for Matthew Langlin. I am an international student uh, from Belgium and Poland. I am studying hospitality management here, and it's been a lot of fun being here in the U.S. And a little bit about my background. I did not grow up in a Christian household. My parents are not believers, or anyone that really was around me were not believers. And uh, just a lot of things that happened in my life has been tied to purity and just the exposure at an early age to pornography at about 10 years old, I would say. And uh, that's been something that's been prominent in my life until coming to college. And uh, it's kind of an interesting story of just an international student coming to K-State. I get that question a lot of how did you find out about K-State? And uh, in the short version of it, I was introduced to KU basketball because I was a basketball fan and uh, went to a online school and attended one of their fairs in Warsaw to learn more about what they're doing, how they're gonna prepare me for college and I was wearing a KU hoodie and one of the ladies was an exchange student that came to K-State and called me out for wearing one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Really (laughs) kind of a way that's been really interesting but that's how I learned about K-State and when I had the opportunity to come toward KU, I also had the opportunity to to come toward K-State and the hospitality management department and I had a very obvious choice of not going to KU since I'm here. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I came to K-State. I was not a believer. I did not know Christ. I barely knew anything about who Jesus was or what Christianity was. And one of the first day, literally the first day I came to campus, I attended a dinner called the His Dinner. It's a... Uh, event for international students that don't know a lot about the American culture or just don't have any friends or people they know and it's a great opportunity for people to go there, meet others and uh, I met a lot of people there including Mitch and Levi Nutter and Dave Jivak and uh, it's been a pleasure to know them and uh, I become close friends with Levi and got invited to the challenge kickoff and I was like sure I mean I don't have anything to do. <laughs> so went there and this is the first time I ever felt a greater sense of community, something that was really above me and just not about myself, but something that was greater. And uh, one of the times I hung out with Levi, uh, he asked me if I had any religious backgrounds or what I thought about challenge and that was the first time I got the opportunity to hear about who Christ was, what he, done, what he did for me, and that was the first time I was able to understand who he was and believe in him. And uh, that was really a, a blessing of hearing that Christ died, 
was resurrected for my iniquities or like the wrong that I've been doing in my life before. And that was a truly a blessing. And uh, now my life in Christ is completely different. I have amazing friends. I have an amazing community uh, of people around me. I didn't grow up having a lot of friends. And this is the complete opposite of having a lot of people that care about who I am, uh, love me who I, for who I am, and just really shows me what God's love looks for one another. And that's been an incredible blessing in my life. And uh, yeah, I've been redeemed. I've been felt cared for, for, care, <laughs> for, loved, and just it's been an incredible blessing to be here. And I'm so thankful for that. And I just want to invite some of you that maybe don't know Christ um, or have not been around Christianity just to talk to someone that invited you or that's around you. It's an incredible blessing, and I could never be thankful enough for the people that God has put in my life and the journey I've been through. And, yeah, it's a brief story about who I am So awesome. and what God has done. Man, that's awesome. I love hearing that. I actually was uh, working on this sermon, and I, I called Matt just I wanted to hear what he was going to share, and just talking to him on the phone and hearing about his faith and the journey from just feeling so lonely and isolated to now just knowing Christ and how his faith changed his, his life. It just inspired me. So, love it. Here's what I want to do. We're going to move into a time now um, just of, of an invitation. And so, um, why don't you guys stand up? We are going to worship for sure. Um, but I also just want to, I don't want to miss this moment. And so, you know, I, I don't know what God has been doing in your life. I don't know your background. I don't know where you're from. Some of you I do, but I don't know everybody in here. And if God has been pulling on your heart, if you felt just the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I remember for me, it just became kind of oppressive, like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, just convicting me about um, how deceitful I was. And I just knew that I needed Christ. And so tonight, um, we're going to have the, the challenge staff outside the garage door there. And so we're going to move into a time of worship, but um, I want to just invite you, come and talk to us. We want to talk to you and pray with you. We're going to help you follow Christ. Maybe if there's something in your life that's just been hidden, um, where you feel like you've just been kind of wearing a mask and not really told anyone, come, confess sin, repent from sin, follow Christ. He is the rescuer. He's the redeemer. He's the one that can set you free, the one that can give you eyes to see. He's your only hope. There's no hope in being good enough. And so as we move into worship, we're going to be out there and uh, just invite you tonight. Tonight can be a moment of decision where you decide, I want to follow Jesus. And so we want to invite you into that tonight. So let me pray and we'll move into worship. God, thank you so much for this story in Luke. Thank you, Lord, that it just shows so clearly um, how bankrupt we are, how needy we are, 
apart from you. And, and God, I resonate with that. I see that in myself even today, that apart from you, Lord, I don't know that there's good in me. So, Lord, I just pray in these moments, if your spirit is, is working in the life of any person here, Lord, I pray that they would move towards you in faith, that they would turn the keys of their life over to you as Lord, that they would admit their brokenness and just believe in you like Matt did. Lord, we thank you that you are so good and tender, that you are our redeemer and our rescuer, that you are the servant, the, the messianic servant from Isaiah. And we give all the glory, all the honor to Jesus Christ. You are God. And we worship you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.